0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code What's up on a Monday? It's the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Great to be with you as always. We're going to kick it off with a little positivity. Before we get into the sports, just wanted to start your week off the right way. As we sit here, it's like 8.30 right now as I record this. This news just broke from Bloomberg. So we talked about vaccines a little bit last week. And everywhere you look, you're you getting coronavirus news. But here's some good news to start off your week in relation to coronavirus. So according to Bloomberg, this story dropped again, like right as I hit record here at 8.30 this morning. Um, the Oxford-AstraZeneca COVID vaccine shows... Very, very good progress. So the vaccine by the University of Oxford, and sidebar here, um, if you don't follow three-year Letterman on Twitter, uh, please do so. Uh, He's a parody high school football coach that gets into the mentions of basically everybody, and it's hysterical. And today he's spending all of his time in the replies of uh, these news tweets about the Oxford University coronavirus vaccine vaccine praising Ole Miss and saying they have an SEC championship and, and people are just, they, they get so riled up at him. It, it's hysterical. So that's what the three-year Letterman's doing today is congratulating Ole Miss for developing the vaccine when it's Oxford University and people are correcting him and it's its just great stuff. Anyway, a coronavirus vaccine the University of Oxford is developing with AstraZeneca showed promising results in early human testing, a sign of progress in the high-stakes pursuit of a shot to defeat the virus. The vaccine increased levels of both protective, neutralizing antibodies and immune T cells that target the virus, according to study organizers. The results were published this morning in the Lancet Medical Journal. Um, And, of course, because it's Bloomberg, they mentioned uh, AstraZeneca's stock price uh, rising. Anyway... They continue to say, uh, Adrian Hill, who is the head of uh, the institute at Oxford University that's heading this up, uh, Adrian said, we are seeing very good immune responses, not just on neutralizing antibodies, but of T-cells as well. The results will be closely scrutinized as governments around the world seek to end the pandemic. That has killed more than 600,000 people so far. According to the article, this is a key step moving forward. It's an important early step in testing. Uh, they got positive results in the animal test, but now uh, there is 160 or so vaccines in the works right now that are in various stages. But this one seems to be the front runner of the pack and has already begun the final stage testing. Uh, AstraZeneca said it may be uh, may begin delivering doses to the United Kingdom as early as September, and they've already uh, done work with other. Uh, developers of vaccines uh, across the uh, across the world and if this testing continues to push forward the way it's gone so far knock on wood a vaccine will be basically readily available by mid-fall that's the goal here according to this article so off and running on a monday with some really 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 good news uh, out of Oxford University, and again, follow three-year Letterman, He he's hysterical, um, so congrats to Ole Miss, I guess, <laughs> on, on the vaccine, but really good news to start off your Monday, again, this is The Rebel Report, I'm Michael Borky, follow me on Twitter at Michael Borkey or Facebook at Michael Borky, and the show is brought to you every week by... LB's in Oxford, just across from Kroger on University Avenue. Go by and see Greg and tell him we sent you. Get your meats or your daily lunch special from the best place in Mississippi to do it. Again, tell Greg we sent you. LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue. Made some beef ribs over the weekend. They were phenomenal. If you want to do the same thing, DM me. I'll send you my method. It's pretty simple. Beef ribs, you don't have to do a whole lot. to a lot of barbecue. I mean, I, I see people do all kinds of crazy stuff when... One of the most world-renowned barbecue chefs just does his brisket with salt and pepper and then wraps in butcher butcher paper at the end. I mean, it's that simple. Barbecue does not have to be some complex science, and I made some exceptional beef ribs by a really simple method. Go to LB's, get yourself something to put on the grill, or stop by and go see Greg and get one of their daily lunch specials uh, every weekday. And uh, let's get started. I'll start with this. Uh, The most interesting story over the weekend to me, and then I'll finish with some scheduling news in the SEC and whether or not it applies to Ole Miss. But I'll start with the most interesting story of the weekend. Kind of flew under the radar a little bit, I guess partially because it it was the Pac-12, but a college football story that is fascinating uh, to me. Also a really bad idea, but I'll get into that in a second. I don't know if you guys have noticed. I'm sure you've seen it. There's been Uh, what I call a player empowerment movement in college football. Uh, They realize, uh, have realized that they make all the money for the school, and so therefore they have decided to come together and ask for change, among other things, within their program. It's happened at a lot of places, but now it's it's finally gone too far. So you've seen it at Iowa, for example, where Uh, former players and current players uh, outlined uh, mistreatment from a strength and conditioning coach in situations within the program that led to his termination. West Virginia, a very similar situation there. Kansas State had a bunch of players boycott any team-sanctioned activity until a student that posted some uh, awful things online was punished to their liking. At Oklahoma State, you saw... What happened there with Mike Gundy in the One America News Network shirt and his star running back saying he's not playing for Oklahoma State until that gets corrected, and Mike Gundy ended up taking a pay cut and that entire situation there because of the OAN t-shirt. You had Texas uh, players uh, boycott team activities, among other things, and they provided a list of demands to the university, including changing – a prominent song within their athletic department and stadium names and stuff like that. Locally, uh, you had Kylan Hill at Mississippi State say he's not playing another down for Mississippi State or anybody within the state until the state flag changes. And uh, some people said that he was the catalyst for change. Even a lawmaker decided to try to name the bill the Kylan Hill bill. And while what he did... um, Standing up for what you believe in and changing the state flag is noble. Um, Come on. And similar things happening at Ole Miss. You saw recently, even though it was at least unsuccessful the first time, uh, Ole Miss football players got together and recorded a video asking uh, for that Confederate statue on the Oxford Square to be taken down. The Board of Aldermen, or whatever they're called, uh, voted to keep it in uh, a meeting that had some very interesting quotes that came out of it. But um, that fight is not over. I saw in the news this morning that there are still people trying to uh, get that statue taken away. And um, those Confederate 901 clowns are sure going to be uh, in town soon enough. I mean, driving down from Memphis because they've got nothing better to do. They certainly don't have jobs to be at. Uh, so I'm sure they'll be spending some time in Oxford around that statue uh Making it a point of contention, and so there are people locally, including Ole Miss football players, that would like to see that statue taken away. That's; those are uh, not the only examples. They're just a few examples of many players enacting for or enacting change and asking for change and being advocates for themselves and otherwise, whether it be through boycotts or, or just in Ole Miss's case. Whether you agree or disagree with moving that statue, you at least have to be proud of the way that they've gone about it. They did not threaten to boycott. They didn't quit. They didn't call anybody names. They put a video together and said, hey, look, here's how we feel about it. We love this place, but we want to see this changed. It it was very well done, and it hasn't worked yet, but maybe it will. So at least uh, you haven't seen that extreme from the, the players that you love, if that means anything to you or not. But, like I said, it's finally gone too far. In the Pac-12, this is according to Rudy Carpenter, who played at Arizona State. He was a quarterback at Arizona State. He's now a a quarterback coach. um, Shared a string of tweets on Twitter. And according to him, Pac-12 football players have created a list of demands for the... uh, Programs, and universities, to take into consideration. If the demands are not addressed or complied with, players are threatening to sit out the season. He said there's a significant support growing among all 12 teams, with 50 or more players on many teams in support of this action or list of demands. He continued to say, the initial idea was to create a players' union. They decided the time didn't allow for this, and so they figure the best way to uh, enact change is to boycott the season. He said they're asking for a 50-50 revenue share, six years of insurance upon graduation, better COVID-19 testing and protocols, and things like that. He said the player-led group is being spearheaded at Cal, and they have been holding phone calls with other Pac-12 teams. There's some kind of players-only meeting or vote that will be taking place shortly. First off, if you've listened to me long enough, you know that I am pro players getting paid. I think that college athletes deserve to be compensated in relation to what the market says that they are worth. The schools make so much money on them. ESPN makes all this money on them. Their merchandise, their jerseys, their name and image and likeness can be sold and used by everybody but them. I am well aware that the education that they get is valuable. There's no denying that. The room and board and the food and the training and all of that is very, very valuable. I'm not taking away from that. But I do think college athletes deserve to get compensated in some way. And if you can look at the locker room that Alabama just unveiled that their players are getting, and, and you can look at that and say that college athletes do not deserve to get compensated because there's not enough money or whatever, I, I think you're You're crazy it's gone over the top. It's too much. I remember having this debate years ago when the University of Texas put big TVs above every locker in their locker room. And all the TV did, it didn't function like a regular TV. It just displayed highlights and stuff of the player above their locker. It was their nameplate, but it was a big TV. And I said, what would they rather have? Um that big TV that displays their highlights above their locker, or $500? And you know what the answer would be. I don't think the schools need to be giving out that money. I don't think they need to be employees. More on that in a second. But I do believe that college athletes deserve to be given the opportunity to benefit from their name, image, and likeness, at least. That makes sense to me. They can use their social media accounts, um, We've looked at studies recently on the radio show of what a player could command on social media post or TikTok, TikTok videos, um, Instagram promotions, or whatever. Um, you get a company to pay a kid a thousand bucks to tweet something, I'm okay with that. If that's what the market um, decides they're worth. Local advertisement, car dealerships, whatever it may be, and it won't be near as much as people think it will be. I think Doug Gottlieb is out of his mind most of the time, but I do think that he is right, at least on this take, where at the end of the day, the college brands are far more valuable than the vast majority of players. Zion Williamson is an exception. He'd have been worth millions in college. He is one of the most transcendent stars in sports, but he's definitely the most transcendent basketball player since LeBron James. It's undeniable. Whether or not you think he's going to be great in the NBA doesn't matter, but when you talk about marketability and attention and name recognition, there's been nobody like him since LeBron coming out right away. He a, he's a different animal. Trevor Lawrence is probably a different animal as well. He could be doing national Pantene commercials tomorrow. But generally speaking, college athletes really aren't all that valuable from a national marketing perspective. They're not signing multi million dollar shoe deals or anything like that. The 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 value in college athletics most of the time is the brand. It's not the quarterback at Alabama. It's or it's not Mac Jones. It's. Alabama's quarterback. That's that's valuable. So I don't think the money would be near as big as some people do. It's already getting done below the table, but it helps small sports a ton, and that's why I think it's so important. Of course, there's going to be nefarious recruiting inducements and stuff that come with this, but that already happens. I saw Darren Rovell say that this proposal that's out there for name, image, and likeness that wouldn't allow players to take anything until their second semester in school would mitigate some dirty recruiting. And I just... Some national media people's heads are just buried so far down in the sand or they're willfully ignorant. Colin Cowherd thinks that Alabama does not cheat in recruiting, that they don't have to. I mean, that's absurd. If you've ever been around it or talked to anybody that's around it, you know that everybody is cheating. So... The name image and likeness thing won't disrupt all that much because there are players in locker rooms that got a shit ton of money from somewhere and it hasn't really disrupted the locker room. And it's you have the same format like in the NFL for example or or the NBA. You have players in locker rooms that get tens of millions of dollars in big contracts and I mean, do you think anybody in Kansas City's pissed off that Mahomes got 500 million recently? No, they're proud of their guy. They they that will not cause locker room disruption. I don't know why people think that is the case. When all of you can benefit from your name, image, and likeness, here's a real-world wake-up call. The people that are more valuable get more money. Patrick Mahomes is more valuable in that locker room than his left guard, so he gets more money. And I promise you that left guard is happy for his boy. That's not going to be a problem here. But since it already happens, I think it's most important that college athletes benefit from their name, image, and likeness because it helps the smaller Sports, Braden Thornberry, he couldn't teach golf lessons when he was at Ole Miss. Think about how much money Braden Thornberry could have made if he had a free Saturday and decided he's going to teach little Timmy lessons at $75 an hour. Caitlin Lee, recent Ole Miss softball star, could have done the same thing. Baseball players can teach lessons and do that, and I think it's really important. So name, image, and likeness is something that I'm a supporter of. I want that to happen. However, what the Pac-12 players proposed is the dumbest idea. The be- the better testing and, and better protocols are fine. I, good. If you don't think you're getting tested well enough and the protocols aren't good enough, ask for better ones. That's fine. That's not stupid. That's That's fine. The insurance idea is interesting. So, in case you forgot, they're asking for six years of insurance after graduation. Now, I think that's biting off more than anybody can chew because, well, I, I, I think they should be given that if it's directly related to football injury. So, for example, if a senior terraces ACL in his final game and he's already graduated school, he should be allowed to get covered in in surgery, and rehab and stuff, covered by the school, even though his eligibility's out and he's graduated school. But if you're saying that they should just have insurance for six years after they're done with their eligibility, no, Cal should not have to cover you going to the doctor to get a flu shot when you're five years after graduation. So it's an interesting idea, but I think it would be more likely to happen if they... Tie it down to um, something that's directly related to football. I can get on board with that. But just generally give you insurance for six years, uh, I, that doesn't make any sense either. But it's an interesting idea. The 50-50 revenue split, though, is, is so... I mean, just get the hell out. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so stupid. It's such a bad idea. And I thought the the West Coast people... I thought those were supposed to be the smart kids. Cal and Stanford and UCLA. And, and These are supposed to be really good schools out there, I thought. This is a terrible, terrible idea. And people say, well, oh, it's just a negotiating tactic. A 75-25 revenue split's a bad idea. A 90-10 revenue split's a bad idea. Here's what's going to happen. But we'll, we'll play along and say that 50-50 revenue split is what they're looking for. But to, to hammer home the point... Even if it's ninety ten, if it's 95-5, forming a union or getting a revenue cut from your school makes you an employee, not a student-athlete anymore. That's why this is so stupid, because it makes you an employee. And here's what happens when you're an employee. You don't get your tuition paid for anymore. At least they don't have to pay for it anymore. Uh they don't have to pay for your room and board anymore. They don't have to pay for your food unless it's like in the facility. I know NFL players get food, but like they don't give you they don't have to give you three meals a week anymore. They don't have to pay for your apartment anymore cuz you're an employee. You're drawing a check from them. You don't have to pay your tuition anymore. You have to pay taxes. And I guess they would for NIL anyway, but you've got to pay taxes now on that 50/50 revenue split you got to pay for your own phone, and and your own apartment, and your own food, and and suddenly you're an employee. And oh, by the way, if you're an employee, that means they can hire and fire you whenever they want. That means if you go out to the bar, and you're 20 years old, and you're holding a beer, and a cop decides he wants to write you a ticket for minor in possession, um, they can kick you off the team. And take away your income. They can fire you for that. They can fire you for underperforming. If you're a field goal kicker and you miss three kicks and you lose a game by two, suddenly they can just cut you and fire you because you're then an employee. See, they can't do that to student athletes. Talked about this on the the Sunday show yesterday. And I had a listener text in and say, well, I mean... Nick Saban fires kids all the time. It's called the process. Well, yeah. You can you can kind of push kids out of your program. But you can't just pull a scholarship for no reason. You can't pull a scholarship for poor performance on the field. If they show up and they go to practice and they, you put them in the game and they drop passes, you can't cut them right now. But if they become an employee, if they form some kind of labor union, and they get a 50-50 revenue split from their program... Uh, they can get fired for bad performance. Just like I could get fired for bad performance. Don't tell my bosses if this is bad. (laughs) Uh, uh, And oh, by the way, NFL players don't get a 50-50 revenue split. Patrick Mahomes, forget Patrick Mahomes. He's an anomaly. Chris Jones is more valuable than the entire California football team. The NFL does not get a 50-50 revenue split. They make a shit ton more money than Cal football does. And they don't get half the revenue generated. But also these things would happen too. You'd see major budget cuts. And I know it's not a football player's problem that they would lose volleyball, but Stanford already cut 11 sports. They budget for a 100-0 revenue split. What do you think happens if they have to give up half of their revenue to the just the football team? What do you think happens to everybody else? They're gone. Your girlfriend, the soccer player, suddenly doesn't have a team to play on anymore. And maybe that's not right. Maybe that's not just. Maybe you think that it doesn't matter about these smaller sports because they're entitled to that revenue. And that's fine, but just know what's coming. If this were to happen and by the way it's it's not going to happen, but just to show you how stupid of an of an idea this is um every sport's gone except for football and basketball all of them if they become employees it's over for everybody else. there would be a major decline in facilities your locker room won't be as nice anymore. The Tennessee Titans are soon going to be opening a, a Indoor facility, so, so good for them. Uh, but for now, their players practice inside of a bubble because that's all they need. Locker rooms aren't as good as you see at Alabama or LSU because it's run like a business because they have employees now. So the Titans decided. I think the Texans also practice inside of a bubble. I know they used to because I've seen it myself. Uh, suddenly, you really want to to sacrifice your comfort? I don't know if you want to do that. Maybe you do. There would be major budget cuts. You would lose sports. You would lose facilities. You would have to pay tuition. You would have to pay for your food. You'd become an employee. You can be cut at any time. And now, by the way, is the absolute worst time to ask for this. Just the worst. Oh, man. Just terrible timing. And the thing is... I know these are just kids doing what they think they want, but... Uh, if they do boycott this season and they do decide to sit out and, and not play and everybody else does, I, I mean, do you think Cal football is going to be here in 2021 just to hand you over a bunch of money that they're totally making? I mean, what do you think happens if everybody else plays and the Pac 12 does not? What do you think happens to your apparel deals that you've got, your television deals that your program has? What do you think happens to fans that fill up the stands? Do you think the revenue is going to be the same? you think they're even going to put on a team if you just boycott the season and don't play? What do you think happens when there's no product that generates revenue to your 50-50 revenue split? What do you think happens? And again, I've seen people praise this as a great negotiating tactic. 95-5 revenue split still wrecks them. It does. Because they can't become employees. And people will kind of say, oh, yes, they can. Why not? The schools make so much money. Well, okay. If you want to go down that road, see what happens to your schools. The next question is, is this happening in the SEC? And that, No, of course not. Uh, they get it. At least they seem to get it more. They also probably get paid more under the table, keeping them happy. But name, image, and likeness is coming soon. Maybe not fast enough, but... If you want to talk about maximizing your worth, you are far more likely to get more money with no revenue split, one that the NFL doesn't even get, like I said. You're far more likely to get money, more money on the NIL than you are if you're sharing money with your school, because as you know, they cook the books a little bit on that. They make sure, even though their budgets keep going up, their expenses keep going up, it, it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. Uh, and you would think by now that somebody would, you know, talk them into some sense. And that not only is this not, not possible, but it would be very bad for you if it actually happened. So boycott the season if you'd like, but you won't have a program to come back to in 2021 if you do. So, anyway, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. It's an interesting story, Uh, and I don't think anybody around here would miss it. (laughs) Um, They've kind of dug themselves into a little bit of a hole there in the Pac-12. Them and the Big Ten both with their jumping the gun of the scheduling situation. It's a mess. I mean, the Pac-12, Larry Scott has been... Criticized heavily for his lack of leadership in the league. Their television deal is is atrocious. I mean, they've considered playing games at 9 a.m. local time just to get viewership of their games and potentially a national platform. That's the kind of state of affairs that the Pac-12 is in. But I was asked yesterday, it was actually a really good question. Um, Somebody tweeted at me, uh, Colby tweeted at me and said, if the ACC, Big 12, SEC move forward with an 8-2 or a 9-1 game schedule and the college football playoff happens like normal, would the Big 10 or the Pac-12 get punished or should they get punished for a shorter schedule? Example, 9-1 Georgia getting in over an 8-0 Ohio State or Oregon. That's a really good question. Uh, and I think, yes, I think the SEC, ACC, Big 12 would get awarded for playing two additional likely tough games instead of Ohio State and Oregon. I think in 9 and 1 Georgia if that one loss is let's say at Florida cuz they may have to play a a road game this year and not have that game in Jacksonville would get in over an 8-0 Ohio State. In my opinion, the schedule that Georgia would play would just be simply be tougher and they would get awarded for for doing that. But That underscores a point that I think I made last week on this podcast is quite simply, if the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 strike a deal to play all of their games, I think the Big 10 and the Pac-12 will go back on their initial uh, announcement. Or they will expand their conference schedule. So if the SEC is doing a 9 plus 1, the Big 10 will not only play 8 games, they'll play 10. Uh, They'll find a way to expand their schedule to make sure they're on par with everybody else. They're certainly not willing to risk um, not getting into a potential playoff by playing fewer games. I think they would completely change their mind if the SEC, ACC, Big 12 strike up a deal and do like a 9-1 or an 8-2. I think the Big Ten would change their mind and expand their schedule or add non-conference opponents. And by the way, I hate the 9-1 idea where you would play nine conference games plus one. That would mean some SEC teams get one additional home game. Half the league would get one more home game than the other. And I've heard the counter is, well, that's too bad. We just have to figure it out, deal with it. And no, you can figure it out another way to avoid letting half the league get the additional advantage of having one more home game than you. You can find a way around that. Either go to 10 or do an 8 plus 2, but the 9-1 giving half your league an additional home game, that's not fair. If you are if you are comfortable enough to make a schedule for 10 football games, you can do it to where you balance it and not give half your league an advantage. This isn't a, a get-over-it situation. If you're making that kind of a schedule, you don't put an inherent advantage for half of your league giving them an additional home game in a year where everybody's struggling for money. Like, what are you going to do? Just pick and choose who gets screwed a little bit less than the other? No, it's a terrible idea. You have to balance that somehow to where everybody plays the same amount of home games or else you're picking who gets screwed worse. And uh, that's not right. The league can avoid doing that. That's not an unavoidable situation. Either go to 8-2 or 10 Or find a way to get everybody the same amount of home games. Because doing it that way is is just... That's not good. The league should not be deciding who gets screwed and who doesn't. And last thing for you. uh, I saw conflicting reports over the weekend. Uh, If you were paying attention on Friday or Saturday, there was a lot of reporting that Alabama uh, was going to be playing Notre Dame in Week 1. So Notre Dame's technically an independent, but they're going to get worked into the ACC schedule. They, they have six games already with ACC teams. They're going to get worked in fully uh, to the ACC schedule. But they still have to, they were looking potentially for somebody else. And reporting was out there that it was going to be Alabama. Since Southern Cal is going to a conference-only schedule, that Alabama's looking for a new opponent in Week 1, and that was going to be Notre Dame. Turns out that is not the case. It is going to be, according to AL.com, Alabama is closing in on BYU to be their opening game opponent. BYU is an independent. They have to rebuild basically their entire schedule, and it looks like they've started with one, and that is Alabama. And I've been asked about this a few times, Uh, people wondering if Ole Miss could add an additional game with somebody in the Big 12 or the ACC and because of this, especially. I mean, when this broke, that, that's what you saw. is Oh, wow, Alabama added BYU. I wonder if Ole Miss could add this team. And my answer to that would be no. I think they're going to try their hardest to play every game that they currently have scheduled. I think all eight SEC games on the schedule will be played as is as far as home and away. I do not think that the, the season's going to start on time. But I think you will see all eight opponents, four of which will come to Oxford, the other four Ole Miss will go to. I think that Ole Miss is going to try to, they're trying to do whatever they can to play Baylor. So if they do a 8 plus 2 or a 9 plus 1 model, um, they will keep Baylor and one of the two, the other two non-conference games, I expect will be somebody that they already have scheduled. Because breaking an agreement with one team to enter an agreement with another doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Don't forget, SEMO and UConn and Georgia Southern all agreed to come to Oxford for a certain amount of money. And for Ole Miss to play somebody else, that means they would have to terminate that contract. Uh, The UConn one potentially is one that Ole Miss can get out of. Because as far as I understand it, uh, the current political situation there would not allow UConn to travel anywhere to play football. So maybe uh, that could be Ole misses out from that game as local government wouldn't allow them to do it. Therefore, we don't have to pay them for the game. But I would expect... That this is just speculation on my part, but I'm using Occam's razor here. That The most likely situation is if the SEC goes to an 8-plus-2 model, you'll see Baylor and either SEMO or Georgia Southern. If they do a 9-plus-1 model you'll see Baylor. That, that is just my guess. Um, th- that makes the most sense to me. I don't foresee a scenario in which Ole Miss is adding opponents unless they can play 12 and UConn can't come to Oxford anymore. I mean, that's where you'd see them add a new opponent if possible. But for right now, uh, I think that's what you'll see. Is If it's a 9 plus 1, you'll, you'll simply just see Baylor. If it's an 8-plus-2, you'll see Baylor and probably Georgia Southern. That would be my guess. Uh, but that is simply just a guess. I think Auburn is also going to have to add somebody, uh, potentially, uh, because they were supposed to play uh, Alcorn to open the season. And even though there's been con- conflicting reports, it doesn't sound like the SWAC is going to be playing this fall. So Auburn may have to look for somebody if we can play a full schedule. But there's a lot of VIFs, and that's a lot of conjecture. But when you see that Alabama's adding BYU, that's because Southern Cal was their marquee non-conference matchup. And so, let's look at Alabama's schedule here. Not the best pod to be Googling something, but Alabama football schedule. I think that Southern Cal is their uh, marquee, marquee game. Yes, they have Southern Cal, Georgia State, Kent State, and UT Martin in the non-conference. So yeah, um, that's why they're they're seeking out BYU, because that would still be their highest profile non-conference game. So if we do a 9 plus 1, BYU would still be their most attractive game, for whatever that's worth. So no, I do not foresee Ole Miss adding any kind of opponent more than what they've already got. I think they're trying their hardest to get the Baylor game in. May not be in Houston. I don't think it's going to be on September 6th. I anticipate a season that will get delayed some. But I don't think that that game is over just yet. Could be wrong, but I think the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC are trying their hardest to preserve their games. A lot of high-profile games between the three leagues, and I think they're going to do whatever they can to make sure they happen. So... Hope you have a good week. Thank you so much again for tuning in. Don't forget to go by LBC, Greg, tell him we sent you. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. Hope you have a great week. Uh, Hope that we got it started with some positivity for you, something to look forward to this week so we're not inundated always with negative and bad news. There's something to be happy about starting this week. And Oh, by the way, baseball starting this week. NBA starting two weeks from now. We've had great action on the PGA Tour. Sports are coming back. It's a really good feeling. Really glad that you're with me. And I'll talk to you again on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.